Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Lightworks podcast. My name is Jonathan Newcomb. I'm here to deliver the next part in the series about lust. Um, this is episode 10. I've titled it The Altar of Lust, and this is directed towards the men. So I'm speaking to men, but if women, if you're listening, sisters, if you're if you're in here and hearing what I have to say to the men, um, just know that this is geared towards men. So if I use most um, male you know, pronouns and things, I'm just directing it, he, mostly, towards men. If you want to listen to episodes 8, which uh, kind of builds the foundation of lust, and 9, which is directed towards women, I encourage you to do that. Uh, my wife Martha had put a lot of time and in, in prayer into those messages, and um, they lead up to where I'm now directing it towards the men in episode 10, and then she'll cap it off in episode 11. So I encourage you to go listen to those and any of our other podcasts she's created um, gearing up to this. So we're going to be talking about lust, the altar of lust. So lust as a dictionary definition is a strong sexual desire. Now, as men, we can really relate to the strong sexual desire as... um, you know, this is something that we struggle with across the board. You read about men falling in this area all the time. The thing I want to talk about is the biblical definition of lust and how that ties into this strong sexual desire and how the enemy uses this to lead us away from him, from the Lord, I mean. The enemy uses us to lead us away from God. So he starts with lust. So I want to read from 1 John chapter 2. In verse 16 of 1 John chapter 2, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So there's three things that's going on in this verse that I want to kind of define before I move on. Now within these things, the strong sexual desire will come into play, right? But obviously, lust is broken down into three big things. Um, So let's talk about the world. What does the Bible mean by the world when it says that in this verse? Now, there's the biblical concept of the world falls into five categories. The physical world, the human world, the moral world, the temporal world, and the coming world. Now, all those things can be displayed, uh, displayed or explained at a different time. But what I really want to focus on is the human world. The world that humans have created. Because that is where this verse is talking about. It is the human ideals, um, the things that we've put into culture. Not that culture is bad, but the things that in culture that lead us away from God. And the ideas and ideals, the philosophies that man has created. That is what the Bible is talking about in this verse. The world. For all that is in the world. The human world. Now what about the flesh? The lust of the flesh. What does flesh mean, biblically? Now we know there's the flesh that is our body, right? There's the physical flesh of animals and humans, and you can read about that in 1 Corinthians 15.39. Chapter 15, verse 39, talks about the flesh of animals and humans. Also in Genesis, it talks about the creation of the flesh of animals and humans. But that's not the flesh that this verse is talking about. The flesh that this verse is talking about 
is what the Bible calls the old man or our, our sinful nature. So if we read this verse in that context, for all that is in this world, the human ideals, the human ideas, the human ways that are against God, the lust of the flesh, which is our sinful nature, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of this life, it's not of the Father. Who? Who's the Father? God himself. God who sent his Son. God whose Son sent the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who helps us understand what I'm saying right now, who helps us understand the Word of God. So let's get into the, the these different lusts because they're going to help us understand why we are led towards these lusts. Why do we feel like this compelling urge to go towards these lusts? I'm going to talk about how in the Old Testament, the enemy tricked us into these lusts and how he tricks us into these lusts now and how he uses these lusts to lead us away from God and how we can defend ourselves against that. So to start off, we got the lust of the flesh, right? When fleshly desires rule us, taking priority over God's will, they cause us to violate God's righteousness. So God has a certain plan for us. He wants us to be like him, to continue to be like Adam and Eve was before they fell, which I'm going to talk a little bit about coming up. He wants us to be righteous, but we can't do it on our own, right? This is the gospel in a short, this is the short version of the gospel, right? There is some bad news. The bad news is that God made us perfect, but the enemy came in, tricked us, we believed it, and we gave, we chose to take his word over God. So the earth was cursed and so were we. We now are dead. Now we walk in death. Our flesh dies. Our spirit can die. God didn't like that. So he set up a plan. I don't want this to be anymore. So he sent his son to die for us, to take the place of our sin, to take a place of what we did wrong so that we can have eternal life. Now, Christ's righteousness is what gives us that righteousness with God, not anything we can do. I'm going to get into that a little bit. So the lust of the eyes. Simply put, the lust of the eyes is the sinful desire to possess what we see or to have those things which have visual appeal. Now, I think as men we can automatically understand where this leads us, right? As men, we desire things visually. We see things visually first, and we desire them in our heart, and then we want them, especially when it comes to females, the opposite sex. Um, this is something that the enemy uses so often to lure us away. Now, he can use that with this next one to really lure us away with the lust of the flesh, the lust of our eyes, the pride of this life. What is that? The idea behind the pride of life is someone who lives for superiority over others, mostly by impressing others through outward appearances, even if by deception. Even if by deception. So when we get caught up in the pride of this life, it causes us to think about what's going on. Uh, I'm going to be the next top dog. I'm going to be I'm going to be the alpha dude. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing that. I got I got this many girls over here. I got this going on over here. I'm running this game over here. I'm I'm the guy that people come to. You know, there there's this temptation, this lust to become that that person. 
And the enemy uses that for us men. And we see it in the world, right? We see it, whether you're talking about in the criminal world or the business world, which can be also in a criminal world. Um, we see it in many different worlds where it's like the men are, are tempted to move into a direction that makes them the top dog. Now, when we talk about these different prides, these different lusts, the enemy has, has set it up in a way to really get our flesh to look towards these things, our sinful nature to look towards these things so he can get us away from him. Now, I want to read a story in Genesis um, to kind of give us a backdrop of where the enemy started and how he got us to get there and how does that affect us as men. Okay, so starting in chapter 3, verse 1, I'm going to go to 7. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, which I encourage you to do so. A lot of, um, I'm going to be encouraging the Bible a lot. That is our, it's our main tool, okay? So, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? So, I want to stop there. This is the tactic that the devil uses in everything and I'll show you later on and when I talk about how we can defend ourselves this is the tactic that the devil uses in everything he gets us to lust he gets us to be tempted in this direction he gets us to question God did God really say that's the first thing he says to me did God really say so he's planting a seed of questioning God of planting a seed of questioning what may be real or not real in our hearts but what did what did eve say the woman said to the serpent which is the devil we may eat of the fruit from the trees in the garden but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden god said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die so when eve said this she's speaking god's word this is the truth she's saying well this is what god said he said this now, it didn't stop there, though. The devil didn't just say, oh, okay, God said that, right? He still tries. He tries again. Now, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took from its fruit and ate it. And she also gave it to her husband. This is where we come in, men. Gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of the both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So I want to break down what happened here with Eve, and then I want to talk about how that relates to us as men, and where we come into play as the leader, um, as the priest, as the king of our, our castle, so to speak. So of Eve in the garden of Eden, it is said that she took the forbidden fruit when she saw that the tree was good for food. She thought about how good the fruit would taste, how it would satisfy her flesh. She went after the lust of the flesh. Then she saw the fruit was pleasing to her eyes. She saw how pretty and desirable it was. It pleased her artistic sense. 
She went after the lust of the eyes. It also lured her in because it was desirable to make one wise. How smart the fruit would make her. How her husband would admire her. She went after the pride of life. Now, these are the temptations that the enemy comes. Now, it could have been Adam that he came to first, but he didn't. He went to Eve. And there's some conjecture on why they went to Eve first. But I'm going to tell you, it's probably not what most men think. If you're in a bad situation, you're thinking, yeah, you're right. He went to Eve first, you know. You want to make some kind of conjecture towards, you know, your marriage and maybe it's not going the way you want. Or maybe you're single and you're like, man, is this really, you know, I have to be careful because, you know, the enemy's going to get my woman and she's going to make me sin. No, he can make you sin just fine all on your own. The point of this isn't what, who did it first. The point is the enemy got to Eve and Eve was able to get to her husband and it could have been vice versa. He could have went to the husband, done the same thing and he, and he would have encouraged you know, Eve to eat the apple as well. But what does it say? So he ate the apple, right? We know that already. But what does the Lord, the Lord say to them? He, he breaks it down. First, he talks to the serpent, right? Because he was the initiator of this whole process. And he, he, he breaks down to him in Genesis chapter 3, what's going to happen to him. Then he breaks down what's going to happen to Eve. Now, this is where it comes to us as leaders, we hold most of the responsibility in this situation. That's the way God looks at us because we are the head. He says of the man that he is the head. Now, if you don't have a wife, you're still the head of something. <laughs> you're either the head of people who follow you. Maybe you have a job. Maybe you just have a little brother that looks up to you. Either way, you're always the head or a little sister. You're always the head of something. You're always in charge of something. God always gives you something to lead. He might start you off small. So no matter what, you're always in a position where you're, you're, you're able to lead someone. Someone's always looking to you for leadership. Maybe you're looking to someone else for leadership. And that's also true because there's always a succession of leadership, right? Christ is the head of the church. And we follow Christ. Pastors and leaders are the head of the church under Christ. They follow Christ. We've, we try to follow them or, and while we're following Christ. They try to example Christ, you know. And so on and so on as it goes down the line. But no one is exempt from being a leader, especially men. So when he says this to the man, we can all resonate with what he's saying to the man. So he says to the man in verse 17, chapter 3 of Genesis. And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, you are the dust, and you will return to the dust. This is what the man was given by God. It is the mo out of all three of them, he gave him the man the most. <clears throat> because it was his duty to protect the garden, to take care of it, to protect the animals, to take care of them. He had him name the animals and to protect the wife that he gave him that came from his own body. And he failed in all three, all of those things. He allowed the enemy 
through his wife to trick him. Now, it could have been through anything. I want to make this in, this point important. It's not wrong to listen to your wife, men. And if you're not married, it's not wrong to listen to an influential um, spiritual woman in your life. If, if it's your mom, your sister, or maybe you're courting a woman. It's not wrong to listen to them. So don't think that this is saying if you listen to the woman, she's going to lead you astray. No. It is wrong, though, that if anybody in your life who's influential to you is saying something contrary to God's word to listen to them. I'm going to say that again. It is wrong that anybody in your life who's influential to you, in this, this place it was Adam's wife, if they give you something that is contrary to God's word and you listen to it, that is where you're messing up. Not that you can't listen to them. There's very... There's women in the world that God has blessed with wisdom. Hallelujah. And it's okay to follow their leadership and what they say or what they teach us. Especially if it's somebody like your wife or your mom or your sister or a sister at church that you look up to. Or maybe it's, um, you know, someone you're courting. It's important to know that God gives them wisdom too. And you should be listening to them. But if they are, if, if anybody, if anything tries to lead you from God's word, that's where we need to stop. Because that is where the act of worship shifts. And that's where I'm going to shift in this. So the act of worship, this is where I want us to understand. The act of worship shifts. Now, the old covenant. After this, after um, Genesis, you know, things progressed. And God came to a place where he said, I'm going to make a covenant. Okay, that's where we get the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Testament is another word for covenant. I'm going to make a covenant with you. Okay, so he makes a covenant. He has Moses, the man he chose, work out some plans. They make a tabernacle. They put in the tabernacle, they, they create all these things specific to be separate, only used for God. And only priests can go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the Holy Spirit dwelt at the time. Okay, this is the old covenant way. They used to worship by killing animals and, and spilling their blood on the altar. Okay, and they would do that in for the remission of their sins. Okay, this 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 went on for some time, some generations, right? Now we don't understand this system today because we don't work in that system. So what changed? Before I tell you what changed, I want to talk about how the enemy copied that system. The enemy copied that system and led people away from the Lord by using other gods like Baal and the Egyptians had their gods and these different people. Now the Lord said, don't go after these people and don't go after their women because they're going to lead you away. Don't go after their men because they're going to lead you away. Don't go after their stuff. They're going to lead you away to these other gods. But the people of Israel, they didn't listen. We don't always listen, right? And... I'm going to talk about how that pertains to today. But before I do that, I want to talk about Baal. Okay, this is one of the gods that they fell into worship. And I believe it's one of the gods that if you read in the story where Aaron fashions a calf out of the gold when they're in their desert because Moses is up on the mountain. He just decides to fashion this calf. And you're like, why does he make it a calf? Well, Baal, the symbol for Baal is a bull. I really believe 
that you know the Egyptians had their own version of Baal, and then the the um, in Canaan the Canaanites they had their own version of Baal, or what was called Baal. Also later on when you're reading in Kings, you read about um, <clears throat> King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, and they worshipped Baal. Well. Whatever one you're talking about, whether you're talking about Baal or any other god at that time, they had their own priests, just like God said, only the priests can go into the Holy of Holies, and they would come out. So Moses and Aaron or the priests after them would come out with whatever message. They had prophets that would come and give the message of God. These were the people that God chose, and they went into the Holy of Holies. They got the messages. They brought it out, and they gave it to the people. And this is how the system was. So the enemy, he copied that, and he had Baal. Now, what, we, what they would do to go on into their version of the Holy of Holies was a perverted version to worship Baal, who was the god of fertility of the land, fertility of humans, sexual pleasure, god of war. To worship this god, you had to go to the temple, which is a type of the temple that God created or the tabernacle, and you had to commit acts of worship through sexual acts with a prostitute, um, orgies. All these different sexual things were done to worship this God. They did it at the altar. They spilt blood um, for that God. Um, and they would have, you know, all types of different sexual things go on. Um, a lot of the temples had prostitutes there. You could purchase uh, the prostitute and, and go pay homage to your god, whatever that god was. So when we're thinking of that, we understand how the devil tricked us into, or tricked humans into thinking that they were worshiping. And really they're worshiping at the god um, that was their version of worshiping themselves. I mean, it was what they wanted. You know, I want this. I want that. Right. And he would really puff up these main people, you know, the whether it was the pharaoh or the head priest or the king. You know, a lot of the kings, even in, in Judah and Judaism, they fell away and they worshiped at these altars. They worshiped at these high places that the Lord kept telling us to break down. Now, how does that how does that relate to us today? Well, the New Testament came in, right? Jesus died for all mankind. And when he did that on the cross, the veil was torn. So that old sacrificial system was done away with. He said, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets. I didn't come to change or destroy. I came to fulfill. So now there's a new way. What's that new way, right? 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a verse about us walking in the new covenant. We are now the royal priesthood. We're the chosen race. We're the holy nation. We're the people for his possession. When we receive Christ and he comes into our heart through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit makes us these things. We are now in a lineage that is different from the old way. We don't have to pour blood because Jesus poured his blood. 
We don't have to go to an altar because Jesus died on the altar. He fulfilled that whole system. So what is the devil doing? Well, now my systems aren't going to work, right? They probably did for a time. People are still led away. But now here we are in 2021, the 21st century. Um, most people are not worshiping at these kind of altars. But what do they worship at the altar of? The altar of self. The altar of the flesh. The altar of this world. You got to understand that when we give ourselves to pornography, when we give ourselves to other women, when we give ourselves to the idea of advancing our social status or advancing ourselves, when we start to work, we start to put that above God, we begin at that point to give into the temptation that the enemy has laid out and feed our flesh by worshiping at the altar of our flesh of ourself, of our own pride, of our own lust in our eyes. We begin to worship other gods. Those other gods have become men and women. They've become people. When you're talking about, even if you're talking about your favorite preacher, if they are doing something outside the context of God's will and God's word, and we begin to lift that person up above God, Sometimes it's unknowingly, like, you know, I, I like a lot of different preachers. One of my favorite preachers is David Wilkerson. I love the way he preached. I love the way he brought the word in. I loved the way he um, ministered to people, how God used him. But if I, for a second, take David Wilkerson and put the way that he did it above the way what God did in him, I'm beginning to worship now at a different altar. I'm beginning to worship at the altar of David Wilkerson, right? And when we do that, we, we change how what God is directing us. It, the enemy starts with a temptation. Are temptations bad? Yes, but a temptation doesn't mean we did something wrong. If the devil tempts us and it just ends there, we didn't do anything. When does the temptation become wrong? The Bible says when it gives birth to sin. When we begin to entertain the temptation, when we begin to look at the temptation, when we begin to lust after this temptation, then it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when we are giving birth to that sin, we have now begun to worship at the altar of that sin. We begin to worship at the altar of our flesh. We don't, we, we are now transitioning from the idol worship of wood, stone, and metal to the flesh and blood of humans of status, of position, you know, of sexual desire. We're beginning to worship. We're using that same system that was set up for Baal, but now we're just doing it for ourselves, for humans, for for our own gain. You see, the enemy comes in, he tempts us, he wants us to give birth to sin. You know, Jesus talked about it when he came because everybody understood the old way, right? When Jesus came, he had he was re-educating people. Hey, I under I know you heard it this way, but I'm telling you a new way. I'm coming to die for you all. I'm coming to fulfill that old way. And one thing that he said is he said you heard it written, you know, don't covet another man's wife. Right? But he said if you lust after her in your heart, you've already started the sin. You've already just started to sin. You've already broken that commandment. 
You see, he started to transition. If you hate your brother. See, it all becomes a heart issue. Why? Because the Holy Spirit now dwells inside our heart. It's always been a heart issue, but now it's closer to home. Right? It's always been about a heart issue. It's been about us and where our heart stands. But now it's closer to home. So we have to think about the things that try to draw us away. It starts with temptation. The temptation brings us to lust. This is what the enemy wants. He uses the world, our flesh, and he wants to feed that flesh. Now, my wife Martha, she shares a story about a Native American who talks about these two dogs. And I really like that story because I had a pastor tell a similar story about two dogs. He talked about these two dogs that live in your house. Now, the Native American version was that there was a white dog and a black dog. And this Native American, he, he, he came to the Lord, but he was telling the missionary, hey, you know, I got, I got two dogs. It feels like two dogs are living in me. And the missionary is like, okay, please explain. He goes, there's one white dog and a black dog. And he says, whichever one I feed the most becomes the stronger dog. And whichever one I starve becomes the weaker dog. So the missionary was like, well, which one do you feed the most? He goes, I want to feed the white dog the most. What does that represent? The black dog and to, this, to this Native American um, represented his flesh, represented his sinful nature. The white dog represents his spirit and the things that please God. You understand, when we feed the flesh more, we're feeding the flesh and that flesh dog becomes alpha. When we feed the spirit more, that spirit dog becomes alpha. How do we feed the spirit? I'm going to tell you some ways that an example, actually, of a practical way of how to defeat the enemy and his tactics through uh, a man who lived on the earth, who was 100% a man and also 100% God. His name's Jesus Christ. But I also want to say that when we read our word, when we pray, and when we obey God, this is a system. I would, I would go far to say that there is no formula in the Bible that Jesus ever used, that God ever uses. There's no formula set up because he doesn't go by formulas. He goes by the leading of the Spirit. But this is one formula. It's called reading and studying your word. More than just reading, but studying your word. Praying, constant communication with God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And obeying it. That's where the, com the circle completes itself. Uh, when we obey God, we, we disobey the devil and his temptation to, to lust in the flesh of the eyes and the pride of this life. We obey God and we worship. <laughs> we worship at the altar of the Holy Spirit. We worship at the altar that God wants us to worship at. And we fulfill the desires of the Spirit, not the desires of the flesh, right? There's a war that goes on. It's talked about in Ephesians 6. And it says we do not war against flesh and blood, meaning other people. We don't, we're not fighting them. There's powers and principalities. And how do we defend ourselves? Now, that's the other type of flesh and blood, right? This is not our flesh. We do war against our sinful nature, but I'm talking about the flesh of other men, the flesh of other women. That's not really where the war is. The war is in our side ourself. 
the war is against powers and principalities too. And that's what Ephesians 6 is talking about. We have armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith that blocks the fiery darts of the enemy. It talks about those fiery darts are those darts of temptation. Shield of faith. We get the belt of truth, the gospel of peace on our feet. How do we receive this armor? By reading our word. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Jesus said when he was praying for his disciples, and I believe this extends to us all. John 17, 17, 17. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The truth comes from the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When we ingest the word of God and study it, we build our armor. We build our protection. And it's our weapon. The sword of the spirit is the word. God's sword. God's word. God's sword. You see, we can defend. We can attack the enemy in this way. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist. We can only resist the devil through the Word of God. When he tries to trick us, we use the Word of God to fight him back. Here's our example. Jesus himself. I'm going to end with this. This is our example. Okay? You go to Matthew chapter 4, if you're reading along. The temptation of Jesus. This is how we defeat the enemy. So we don't worship at the altar of flesh anymore. Okay? I've worshipped at the altar myself. I'm not trying to segregate myself from some kind of temptation. The only man who's ever not sinned is Jesus Christ, but he gives us the tools so we don't continue in our sin. He wants us to worship him and be fruitful and multiply so that we can spread our worship to other people so that they can worship God at the, at the true altar, the, tr the altar of spirit and truth. It says the true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God is the truth, right? Amen. So, listen. Verse 4. Uh, verse 1, I'm sorry. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, capital S, which signifies that that's the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, we're talking about the Son of God. He, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, Notice how the Bible calls him the tempter? <laughs> because he just uses lies and temptation. Approached him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. See, that goes back to what he did to Eve. That's the same tactic. What is he trying to get Jesus to do? Question the word of God. If. That is a questioning word. If you're the Son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. Why is he doing this? Because he's hungry, man. He wants some food. He's going to the flesh. He's attacking the flesh. He's, he's using the flesh to get Jesus to sin by using his power in a way that would feed himself. Do you understand? Jesus has the power to turn stones into bread. Amen? I believe that. But the enemy wants him to use that power to feed himself. What does Jesus say, though? He answers, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. Who is the word of God? Jesus is the word of God. 
John chapter 1, the Word became flesh. The Word was before and is. He was there to create, and he walked on earth as a man named Jesus. The Word became flesh. We don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. We live by the righteousness of Jesus. We live by the Holy Spirit that he gives us. Amen? We need to take the word and feed our spirit. That's the bread we live on, right? The manna. The manna only comes once a day, and you have to feast on it at that time. It's not going to last until tomorrow. You got to get new manna every day. It doesn't last to the next day. All right. Amen. Verse five. Then the devil took him to a holy city and stood him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, again, he questions, if you are, throw yourself down for it is written. So the first temptation didn't work, right? Same with Eve. The devil got said, did God really say? Then she said, well, this is what God said, right? So he's moving on. The devil doesn't stop there. He moves on. He's not going to, it's the first, you know, the first attempt may not be the first time that you, you resist and it's over. The devil took him up to the holy city. What is What does he do? Throw yourself down. Now he uses the word of God, right? For it is written, he says. Oh, you want to say it is written, Jesus? I got it. it is written. He will give his angels orders concerning you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What is he getting him to do here? He's getting him to try to disbelieve God and use his power again to call on the angels for himself. <laughs> not for anything else. God's power is for us to edify each other, to build up the body. Right? Jesus told him, it is also written. Oh, you got it written. I got another one. Do not test the Lord your God. Amen. Do not test the Lord your God. That's for all of us. Do, don't do it. <laughs> do not test the Lord your God. Devil didn't give up there. Again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. Man, how many times has the devil done that in our world? How many people have sold their soul for this, for the splendor, the kingdoms of the world and its splendor have enticed more men and women than probably anything else. This is the pinnacle of worshiping yourself, right? I can get to this amount of power. But what does Jesus says? He says, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only amen then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him so we see here what is it the bible says resist the devil and he will flee what happened here then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him as soon as the devil's done tempting you you resisted him how not by saying hey devil i'll kick your butt or you know my muscles are strong my my brain is strong i have all the knowledge you don't have anything we have no power to fight the devil but we do have power in god to fight the devil right the the power that jesus gave us through the holy spirit reading his word praying submitting to him makes the devil flee every time we submit to god it makes him flee for a while and he comes back and he's gonna try something new actually he might try something old 
He'll bring the same old thing right back up. Oh, hey, uh, remember when you liked that girl? Remember your ex-girl or this thing? Remember when you used to play that game? Remember when you used to look at that magazine? Remember that site you used to go on? Wasn't that fun? You know, he tempts us with old, the same old temptation. What does God really say? And then he gets us to question our word. How many times have you questioned God in your life? I know I have. Hey, you know what? Maybe God's saying this about it, and then he uses scripture. Maybe this is the blessing. <laughs> Maybe that's the promised land that God promised you. And really, you just need to go, go take it. Go take the promised land, brother. Go take it. Right? But what does that promised land cause you to do if it's not really what God wants? If it's not the promised land God gave you, and you don't do it the way God set up by marrying that promised land and giving that promised land a ring of a covenant, if you don't do it in the way God set up, then you're going to go worship at the, at the altar of flesh. You're going to go worship at the altar that Satan wants you to worship at, which gives yourself glory, which ultimately gives the devil glory. And in the end, that's death, right? The wages of sin is death. But we have the righteousness and hope through Jesus Christ, through him, we can worship at the altar of spirit and truth when we do it the right way. When we give him our love, when we give him our truth, we can worship at the spirit, uh, at the altar of spirit and truth. So I, I ask you, brothers, to just give yourself to the Lord. Read his word. Pray to him. Obey his word. Let us worship at the altar of spirit and truth. I pray that you don't worship at the altar of flesh anymore. Don't give in to the, the gods of old, the Baals and the, the Asherahs and, and the Moleks. Don't give in to the God of pleasure, the God of self, the God of self-exaltation, the God of pride and arrogance. Worship at the altar of spirit and truth with Jesus Christ. God the Father wants us to be fruitful and our fruit to multiply. Amen. I pray that you do this and that you be blessed in Jesus today. Amen.